Welcome to Devotions in the Deep End. I'm Cam Buchanan, and this is a carefully crafted devotional journey through the New Testament. Let's venture into deeper water as we consider what it means to follow Jesus in the world we live in now. Welcome back to Devotions in the Deep End. We are learning about the ways of the kingdom of God through a series of teachings known as parables. If you go to where you listen to your podcasts, you'll find in episode 36 a short presentation on what parables are and how we can engage with them. In this episode, we have two short parables to consider, so let me read them out to you now from Matthew chapter 13, verses 31 to 33. He, that is Jesus, told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Jesus again captures the crowd's attention and emotion with his opening line, the kingdom of heaven. Then he captures their imagination with the next part, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, a small, mundane, dormant item the size of a pinhead. How can something so grand like a kingdom be compared to something so insignificant? Well, Jesus explains this further. This little seed produces something big. A black mustard tree, which was common in that area, grows to around three or four meters. In a forest, that's not too big. But in the setting it is being planted here, it would be a significant sized plant. And the fact that it is specifically being planted in this parable will be worth exploring too. As we reflect on this parable and consider the history of the early church, we can see the point that Jesus was looking to make here. First, the life and ministry of Jesus shows us that the Messiah came from apparent insignificance. And he chose places and people of insignificance to make known to the world the good news of his kingdom. Think about that for a moment. Jesus was born in the small village of Bethlehem. He was born in a home where there was really no room for his birth, but they made a way. And he was revealed as Messiah to night shift shepherds on the outskirts of town well before anyone of royalty had caught on to his arrival. As an infant, he was taken to Egypt as a political refugee on the run from the murderous Herod the Great. And when his earthly parents are able to resettle in safety, he enters his quiet formative years in an insignificant rural village called Nazareth in the blue-collar area of northern Israel. Then he proclaims the good news of God's kingdom to that northern region. This was the space considered by the religious elite to be the more insignificant half of the nation of Israel. Down south in Jerusalem was where the real action was as far as they were concerned. And 11 of the 12 first disciples are unlikely lads from that same insignificant neighborhood. In just over a year from this point, these insignificant men would lead a new people who would be perceived at least at the beginning as an insignificant splinter group of the much larger expression of Judaism. Essentially, this group epitomized by apparent insignificance was going to be the vehicle Jesus would use to announce and demonstrate his kingdom on the earth. It truly was a journey of mustard seed proportions. The tree in this parable would grow into something truly majestic, a small 
dormant seed would be planted and would sprout into something that the world would take notice of. And this appears to have taken place very early in the history of this new movement. Within just two decades, this movement had made its way into Europe. Acts chapter 17 tells us that European city elders and leaders are describing Christians as people who are turning the entire world upside down. The parabolic, insignificant mustard seed that began in Galilee would have worldwide effect. And Jesus selecting this particular tree species has even more meaning when we look at how others saw them back then as well. A Roman author in the first century known as Pliny the Elder wrote a textbook in natural history in AD 78. In that text, he describes the mustard tree as something that grew best in the wild. It produced something known to be beneficial to your health, but it is also described as really difficult to remove once planted. Its seeds immediately germinate when it hits soil, and you have quite a job on your hands if you want to weed it away. This could be said about the church too. We know from Acts that this new movement, planted, not accidentally sown, exploded from 120 people to 3,000 just a week after Christ's ascension. It is believed to have increased in Jerusalem alone to around 25,000 in the first few years. In the parable, the planted tree would also be a haven for the birds of the air. In the Old Testament, we read in passages such as Ezekiel 17 of birds nesting in trees, and the emphasis in those verses speak of the universal reach of God's sovereign reign. In other words, the birds in the trees are an eloquent allusion to the universal reach of the kingdom of heaven on the earth. It wasn't a limited thing for just the Jews, but this was for the whole world. The point made in the parable is that the good news of God's kingdom would be intentionally planted spring forth from insignificance and become a strong and influential presence in the world. The plan Jesus had in mind is that this mustard seed gospel would have unquestionable benefit to the world around it and would be a source of rest for all the world's weary souls. This message would spread rapidly and the results would essentially be impossible to remove, even though many over time would deem it noxious and attempt to do so. The attention and imagination continues. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast in a big batch of dough. Some in Christian circles have figuratively linked yeast with sin. In some ways this is true, but in others not so much. For example, Jesus would later warn of the yeast of the Pharisees, referring to their hidden agendas and hypocrisies. In 1 Corinthians 5, Paul would use the idea of yeast as an analogy of the effects of sexual sin among the congregation. And in Galatians 5, he uses this idea to speak of the effects of false legalistic teaching in the church. In the Old Testament, yeast, sometimes known as leaven, was not a completely banned product. It occurred naturally in the bread-making process as things started to ferment during the rising process. In fact, there is one instance where offering bread to the Lord with yeast is instructed. The most notable exception, of course, is the Passover feast. In modern times, you can make unleavened bread and serve it within around 10 minutes. In doing this, there is no time for the product to rise and no time for yeast to naturally occur. It then gets served and eaten as a flatbread. The reasoning for this recipe is that as the Jews prepared to leave Egypt, there was no time for the people to allow bread to rise before baking. The whole meal was put together and eaten in haste with a sense of readiness for a quick departure. 
And the annual celebration of doing this was simply a way of Israel remembering the fast way in which God moved to free the people. So in some cases, yeast is not a positive element among God's people. And in other cases, including one instance of worship, it is perfectly fine. In this parable, yeast is a positive product. The kingdom is not like bread. That might lead us to believe the yeast would be an evil thing. But no, the kingdom is in fact like yeast. The kingdom of God is clearly being associated with a small amount of leaven or yeast in a large ball of bread dough. The point Jesus is making is this. The kingdom of heaven is an unseen force which will permeate the entire structure that it gets established in. Like the mustard tree, once its presence is noticed, its presence is already established. The mustard tree is hard to remove and keeps on germinating. The only way to remove yeast is to throw away the whole thing, thoroughly clean every surface and start all over. In other words, God's kingdom on earth was now at hand and inaugurated through Christ. It was planted. It was present and permeating everything, and it wasn't going to disappear. So let's reflect a little on this. Jesus tells us the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It has insignificant origins, but becomes significantly noticed and impossible to remove once planted. We are called to embrace this kingdom way, even if it seems insignificant compared to other forces and powers in the world. We should note that even as Jesus was teaching this parable, the kingdom way that he described certainly didn't come across as more powerful than the Romans at that time. And today, it can sometimes feel like those who follow this way are a maligned minority group as well. But this parable teaches us to lean into that position. I'm actually convinced that the people of God's kingdom way do their best work in the quiet and seemingly insignificant spaces of society. In fact, many modern stories of God's kingdom being brought to earth are being told through grassroots movements and small but numerous faithful expressions all across the world. We don't need the world stage to find significance. We just need to be present, like a mustard seed, wherever you find yourself in God's worldwide farm, and be willing to bloom wherever you are planted by Him. If you'll embrace this idea, you'll germinate quickly and be quite effective for God's kingdom. Finally, Jesus teaches us that this kingdom is like yeast in dough, unseen in action, but unquestionable in the result. Yeast is a fast-working product, and so can the work and word of God in our lives be if we let it. Hebrews 4.12 tells us that God's word is quick and powerful. That word quick means active and alive, like the cultures in yogurt, or like the yeast in dough. And it is powerful, meaning energizing. We can literally come alive as this yeast of the kingdom of God hits our hearts. It can permeate our whole being rapidly and evenly if we're willing to be open to that sort of power in our lives. We are not going to physically see the kingdom of God in this life. It will remain hidden and the thrill of sight is safe for us in eternity. But its presence, like a mustard tree, and its effects, like a rising bread dough, will be unmistakable if we look for it in faith. Thanks for tuning in. To stay in touch, like our devotions in the Deep End Facebook page and subscribe on Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. I look forward to catching up next time.